Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Talking Ball with Pat Leonard. I am the New York Daily News' NFL columnist and Giants beat writer. Have a special guest on the podcast this week. Believe founder and CEO Bron Husenstam here to talk all things sports, sports media, sports business. Happy to have him on the show, even though I'm a Notre Dame guy and he went to USC. First, want to remind you, please subscribe, rate, and review. So subscribe on YouTube, at PL on NFL, on Instagram and TikTok, the same handle, Twitter, P Leonard NYDM, and please rate, comment, review these podcasts. If you like it, give a thumbs up on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe, please rate and review. That is the way we continue to grow this show that you guys are starting to consume and love more and more as it continues to reach more eyeballs across all these platforms that Believe now has our shows streaming on, as well as on YouTube, as I said, where you can get my content from the Giants beat, from my NFL coverage with the Daily News, and from all my work with Believe as a whole. First, want to tell you about our sponsor, BetOnline. BetOnline.ag is your number one source for all your basketball info, stats, news, and scores. Get your latest odds and lines, including the latest player reports for this year's NBA Finals. BetOnline is always your sports information headquarters this season. We have you covered for all your sports wagering needs. Basketball, MLB, NHL hockey, right to UFC and boxing. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to get your betting info, including live betting options and your favorite casino and card games you can play right from your home. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to get in on the action. Be sure to use your promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. And now on to our guest, Bron Husenstam, founder and CEO of Believe. All right, we are back here on Talking Ball with Pat Leonard. Have a very, very special guest today, the founder and CEO of the Believe Network, Bron Husenstam, a USC guy, though. And so, Bron, this is a little bit like Notre Dame, USC. You know, the Bush push was really my worst sports memory. I mean, let's be honest. I was halfway <laughs> down the stands in Notre Dame Stadium, charging the field with the clock on zero. So I'm really happy to have you here. But I see that the Trojans and that's all I can think about. Oh, man, Pat, you flipped that coin. That was one of my best sports moments. <laughs> so, so apparently funny. we were both there. Uh, we, I was oh, sitting on like we were the five yard well. line. Right where, right where Liner fumbled on the play before. That was right in front of us. People went eight and went nuts and watching you all crawl back to your seats after the bush push was so good. How could you not love that? Bad people love a story like that. What a dark night in South Bend, Indiana that was. I will never forget on the play, Bron, the actual bush push when Liner spins and reaches the ball over his head. One of my friends lived in the same dorm Brandon Hoyt, middle linebacker, 39. He looks like he could hit Leinert's back, keep him out of the end zone, but he sees the ball and he reaches for the ball as anybody would in that split second trying to make the play. And that, in my mind, ends up being the difference. But so funny that uh, that we are now here together. Very happy to have you on 
to talk not just football, which we talk a lot of here, but the, the business of sports, the business of sports media. Where are we? Where are we going? You got a BS from USC with an entrepreneurial emphasis. And of course, you found Believe that now is covering across the country, all these different sports, all these different teams uniquely like nobody else is. So my first question for you, really just right off the bat is why did you find Believe? Um, and, you know, how did that how did that come from just an idea that when you were approaching sports to now actually being this business? Sure. And look, it's a great question. And I, I love businesses like this because it was really founded out of need. So I had an agency, you know, that's always kind of been my thing. My entrepreneur major, like you said, from USC, my college business plan, I got the top 10 award right behind me back there somewhere, uh, was representing all of my surf friends. And that's something I did. Uh, 15 years later, you know, I'm looking for one of my clients to get into the podcasting. That was Ryan Leaf. And I'm saying, you know, Ryan, you, you got to do this thing. Like there's a wave coming, you know, Mark Moran and, and Joe Rogan at the time were kind of like the big leaders. And they were really showing that you could have a world-class radio show uh, from your house. You know, this is kind of even before video, you know, about five and a half years ago. And I just called around and I said, you know, I wanted him to sign with a brand because that's what a manager wants to do. And because I Googled how to podcast and I didn't want to learn all that and have to help Ryan as you do in that situation because yeah. I didn't know what to do. And there just wasn't a place that was like a go-to specialist. Now, if you were a big star, sure. But for everybody else and even some of the big stars, like, you know, there's only five chairs maybe, you know, on a Fox morning. There's only two slots for former athletes on the radio in a local city. Like, local radio is not step one. Local radio is like step six. Like, as you know, as a host, like, you've got to grind to get those microphones. And mm -hmm. so we really saw this as just a business that was, you know, able to skip the middleman and go direct to consumer the same way clothing, which was a business I had before had done through Instagram. You know, people were now skipping Nordstrom's and going direct to consumer, you could do this same thing. And, and we, you know, we put it out. And some of our other friends wanted on. And, you know, here we are four and a half years later, you know, we have 175 athletes on the play on the platform. And we really answered that question. You know, where do you go if you want to get into this media business? You go to believe and, you know, and then we combine them with fantastic hosts like yourself and you've got a success. This is probably a more complicated answer than just something straightforward and, you know, in and out. But how is it growing today? How is believe growing today? compared to when you started it? Because obviously you said it went from this idea you had and this, this initial conversation with Ryan Leaf, and now you're up to all this 175 hosts, you're covering nationwide. So how is it growing now? What are you focused on at the moment right now? Yeah, it's been phenomenal to see. Uh, when I started this, I was driving microphones over to professional athletes' houses and showing them how to use Skype. I mean, that's that's where it was, technology. We were buying stuff on Amazon and like, hey, you need a cord to plug into your phone to take a guest, do it in person. Wow. And the technology has just been wild. So the goal for these, the hard part of this is they start at zero. And, and everybody's got to understand that when you start a podcast, you start at zero. It doesn't matter if you're on a network or anywhere. If you start on NBC at eight o'clock, you've got a 730 show and you've got an 830 show. So, you know, you've got some spillover and they've got some data at what that should do. There's no data. You know, it's just start and go. And so for us, it's always been about how to maximize that voice once it starts. So it doesn't take, you know, three, six years because people can just grind out. And so we're so happy that, you know, we've been able to grow to a level where we can break through these glass ceilings. 
I've got two 24-hour television stations, Believe and Believe Football, that you're a part of. Uh, they just got picked up by Fubo this last week. Um, that's phenomenal for us. That means when our athletes and our hosts talk, it's heard. Because <laughs> there's nothing worse than getting onto a podcast, doing an hour, and then checking your number is like it's your dating routine and seeing <laughs> like, man, I only got seven listens. Like, that's a bummer, you know, and it, it takes time. But, you know, this isn't TV and radio. You know, this is Twitter. This is Instagram. This is YouTube. Like, nobody tweeted and then was like, where's my Coca-Cola contract on this first tweet? You know, it's got, <laughs> it takes a little bit of time. And so for us to be able to circumvent that, and put it in other places. We're on 40 platforms now, and 12 of those are podcast locations. So we've got 28 other spots that that are we've built up to. We've got three tune-in radio stations. Like when you talk, for better or for worse, it's heard in those 40 spots, and we're not done yet. You know, we want it everywhere. So that's the goal. And you know, thanks for asking about that. And you know, it it only works with hosts like yourself. If you're not doing a fantastic job and saying great stuff, then we've got nothing. So it really is a partnership and something that we're really excited about. That growth is great news. But like I said, right at the beginning, so first of all, you're a former professional athlete, a former pro surfer, but then also with your entrepreneurial spirit and experience and your business acumen, we have you here to talk about not just the business of sports media, but also sports in general. You can go on a lot of different topics and I wanted to take advantage of your knowledge to dive into some of the here and now, what's happening in sports right now. We'll get into a little bit of football I'm going to start, though, with football across the pond. Lionel Messi, the World Man. Cup champion, the best soccer player arguably ever, now signing with Inter-Miami FC. And so I wanted to ask you, obviously, this is a bombshell. Uh, you know, I was rushing to try to get tickets to this August game, uh, Red Bulls, Inter-Miami, <laughs> and Ron. It, they're already $10,000 on the secondary market. My question for you is, can a signing like this galvanize Major League Soccer and can soccer as a professional sport and business in the United States um, increase exponentially and grow and succeed and get in front of everybody finally because Messi has made this move? Yes, to an extent. It's a step in the right direction. It's not the finish line for them. Okay. It's wonderful. The finish line for them is messy at 25, not 35. That's where you've got to get to, right? And that's where the rest of the sports are. There are other leagues. And that's an interesting thing about soccer, which makes the salary cap so difficult is there's a league in every country and, and there's supplemental leagues too. Like a lot of people in the U.S. don't know that we have the U.S. L, you know, that sits and there's two of those leagues, right? And now we've got MLS too, and we've got MLS. So getting back to Messi, this is fantastic. It sends, it sends shockwaves around the world that the MLS has a, a draw. And look, he's not, he's not rolling around out there in a wheelchair. Like, he just won the World Cup. He's got skill. And the difference between him and Beckham is Beckham was awesome, but Beckham was a midfielder. Like Beckham wasn't necessarily a goal scorer, not a dribbler. Beckham's a passer, a beautiful, handsome soccer player that everybody <laughs> loves. Like, Messi is going to dribble right around people. And that's, you know, we love that. It's very entertaining. I mean, he might average a goal and a half a game, like realistically, you know, when he comes in right here in shape, just coming off of starting for one of the best teams in Europe. So Ron setting the odds right now. I love it. One oh, yeah. Like he is 
sick. And, and he seems like a great dude on top of that. You know, he, I don't know. His English isn't that great. You know, he's from Argentina. He played in Spain most of the time. Um, but a place like Miami suits him well. You know, if you're going to be in in the United States, you know, you can get by on Spanish there and I'm sure he'll learn. Um, and the like you said, the secondary markets here, it's not just about the MLS. I mean, this is Apple. This is Adidas. Uh, who knows, you know, what those salaries look like. You know, if you're Apple and you put, you know, 2 billion plus into the MLS, eh, what's another 50 million, you know, to secure that and bring Messi over here. So, you know, it's all very exciting, those secondary markets and, and it's a good step. Now, I don't think MLS will ever get there until they relinquish the salary cap. You really need the free market in there. So Mm -hmm. if you're not familiar with the way the salary cap works in MLS, they have three designated slots so it's, it's a salary cap and then three players. You can just pay them whatever you want. And to me, you're not competing now if Saudi Arabia is offering $250 million for Kareem Benzema to come play. Like, that's, that's an outlier, right? No doubt. But you have to be able to compete on the open market for those good players. And what's happening is it's not so much like you know bringing Messi over. It's losing the young Americans to Europe. That's where MLS really has to shore that up. And they have to be able to sign them to the going rate. If they're getting 4 and 5X to go play in Europe at 18, 19, 20, then you're going to have to supplement those players with players that aren't them. And so that's, I think, the biggest step for MLS is, you know, can they keep those homegrown players here? Because you're just going to raise the floor of the talent at the league. And right now, I think the league sits somewhere around 10 or 11 as far as talent driven. And Americans like number one. The country code is number one. We like <laughs> to stick our chest out until it gets closer to that number one slot. It's always going to be kind of secondary in this market. But yes, this is a great step in the right direction. That's very well said about losing Americans elsewhere and really having to flip that script. I'd be very interested to see, you know, because there's rumors that Messi's contract includes, uh, you know, option to own part of the team to receive royalties on new subscribers that Apple receives based on his signing. And, you know, he's probably a unicorn and players probably don't after him get those same types of things in contracts. But you see it everywhere. Once one player kind of unlocks the door to something, whether it's sure. a guaranteed contract or a sport or whatever, I do wonder if that kind of bleeds into not just soccer, but, you know, um, kind of sports in general as guys start to think bigger. But um, a sport that has no trouble growing in this country, the other football, the NFL, one of the newest developments in the league and something a lot of people have been talking about, Ron, really all spring where there is really no offseason is the Thursday night football rule and the expansion of it. So of course they have now added two up to two Thursday night games for each team instead of one on a Thursday night. So the league can schedule teams for two Thursday games each year and the even more controversial decision, the ability to flex games in and out of Thursday night football from weeks 13 to 17 this year, they say that's on a one year trial basis, but Brian, I want to know as a former pro athlete yourself, and then as a consumer um, and also in the business of put, you know, bringing the information of the NFL to life and to people around the country, what do you think of this constant expansion and kind of pushing of the line of not just the televising of these games on these unusual nights, but also the flexibility and the ability for the league to push through something that it got a lot of pushback on from coaches, players, and people around the league? It is a great loaded question because there's (laughs) there's so many sides to this right you've got the economic side 
killing it. How can you turn that down? It's, it's a billion dollars. But then it goes right into the player side, which is why do they want to flex the games? Because the games are terrible. Just say it out loud. They're bad. The home team has such an advantage. I mean, as a professional athlete, you get into a routine. Your routine is everything. You spend your entire career Mondays, you're watching film. Tuesdays, you got the day off. Wednesdays, you implement the new schedule. Thursdays, you go into it. Fridays, you go into it. You know, Saturdays, either travel or walk through. And then all of a sudden, you're coming off a Sunday night game. How many times have you run into a wall 50 times and just felt great? Yeah, these pe- they're professional athletes, but it still hurts. Like, it mm-hmm. still hurts. No doubt. So now you're talking about Monday. Forget reviewing the film. You're straight into a Thursday night game. Tuesday, do you even want to take that off? And then Wednesday, you can't even implement it because you're on a flight. So, like, it's going to be worse. I wouldn't be surprised if you see teams start resting players on that double Thursday night. If you're in, like, a 2-10 and 10 situation and you've got, like, a stud Brees Hall running back, like, do you need him on a cold night running around out there when you just crack at some of your backups? And that is exactly what happened in the NBA, and they had to pull back. So it'll be really interesting to see this work. Flip it over to the economics. It's thriving. You know, you can't turn down Amazon and that. That's that's just part of the culture. And by the way, the pay, players get paid for it. You know, you're getting $45 million to go out there on a Thursday night. You're going out there on a Thursday night. You're excited about it. The players know what they signed up for. But at the same time, I'm really surprised they didn't go after Friday night. I know Friday night's taboo because of high school football. Yeah. It's, it's coming. It's coming, and it's going to come quick. And I would have gone after Friday in the first place. That is a huge extra 24 hours. And Thursday, you're going to see either the USFL or the XFL slot in that spot. That is where I see it going in the future because it just makes too much sense to have a minor leagues that has its own night or potentially even like a Tuesday or a Wednesday. Wow, load management in the NFL. That would That's a great point by you there. If they'd ever came to that, what an enormous story that would be. As you said, it's become a commonplace complaint in the NBA and pushback from teams and players there. That's a fascinating point. And so, wait, when you mentioned Friday, I didn't think of this angle because, of course, we have Amazon and this new Black Friday game. The Watch first the ratings. Ever, right? Watch those ratings. They are going to be nuts. Everyone is going to love it. And, oh, we're going to do two or three next year. And then, oh, we're going to do a permanent game on Friday night. It's coming. There's too much money. There's too much money. We're always going to take the path of least resistance. And we're always going to take the path to the most, res- the most resources. And you put the two of those together and you've got Friday football. Fascinating. Fascinating. That's something I will look for now. It's a great angle. So one a- angle of this, though, as well is the fans. And like you said, you watch the numbers. If it's making money and people are watching and the league is growing, of course, people are loving your product. However, when you flex these games, you're screwing with the fans who are going to the stadiums. And yet Jerry Jones, the Dallas Cowboys owner, says out loud for everybody to hear, well, we know that's a problem, but he essentially says, you know, a lot of our fans never go to the stadiums. They watch at home. And so- He's saying the quiet part out loud, which is, well, we're prioritizing the people who are watching at home because there's more money in our media rights deals there. That leads me to this question for you. Could there ever be a day where there aren't fans in the stands for these games, where the owners and the teams are making so much money and then the product at home is becoming so good that either the fans that attend and feel like it's worth the money to spend tickets to even go to the game it's either a limited amount or it ends up, you know, becoming um, kind of like a, a moot point. Why, why should I go to the game? 
And why should the owners market to me and try to get me to pay for PSLs and ticket prices when they're making money hand over fist anyway? It's a great question. Sports is dominating the live market. You know, even when you're watching five minutes behind, you're not looking at your phone. You know, you don't want the text from your friends. That's right. And, and this is all a business at the end of the day. It thrives on marketing dollars. Marketers always need to get their product found. You know, you, you start a product, people got to find it. Sports is a fantastic way to get your product in front of people. I see in the future, the stadium's moving around. Like, why can't we play an NBA game at the beach? Laguna Beach has a famous court right on the sand. An NBA game there would be fantastic. You could put 2,000 people there. We always need new. There's always going to be competition to do better. We already did the bubble. You know, you've seen what it looks like. You know, we did baseball. It, it definitely drops. There's an energy. There's a, there's a walking out into the Coliseum. Are you not entertained factor? Like if you want to get up, you know, walk out in front of 55,000 people. Like I always used to mess with my friends, even going back to college and say, just because there's 60,000 people at your game and 50 people at my surfing contest doesn't mean I'm not excited to show off for those 50 people the same way you are for the 60,000 at your game. Like mm. you're always going to want that energy. But absolutely. I, I remember one of my um, buddies about 10 years ago was a minority investor in one of the teams. And he said at that time they were worried about virtual reality, you know, killing the consumer market. But hmm. they didn't realize how high those meteorite deals were going to be. So if the meteorite, be, you know, it might have started at 25 percent of revenue. If it gets to 75, 85, you know, 100 percent, then, you know, you're no longer going to need that revenue in stadium. And, you know, I think that's something with baseball a little bit is. You know, you've got 162 games, so it thrives on television. It's every night, five hours pre-post. It's so significant there. If you were to take a place like, say, you know, one of the lower Pittsburgh, Tampa, it still can work, even if you're not getting all those people in the door. So it's always a possibility, and I see more movement on those. You see it going in, in the NFL right now over to Europe. Um, you know, you're going to see this in every sport. Right. Baseball's starting to do it. Uh, they'll figure it out. They'll move it around. Travel gets easier. The tech gets easier. The setup gets easier. It gets less expensive. I mean, we're doing this right now on a laptop. This is a world-class television show shot at your house and mine. And so you're going to see that same thing come to football as well and right. all sports. No, great point. We're going to continue to see it evolve. It's going to always, it always seems to happen quicker than most people even expect it to. Curious to see what's going to be next. But meanwhile, while the NFL is making money hand over fist, and as you said, the players, their salaries are going up as well. Here in the New York area, there's a lot of conversation about the position in the NFL where the player often touches the ball the most, but is not seeing his salary go up. And that is running back. Of course, Saquon Barkley has not signed his franchise tag with the Giants. He wants a long-term deal, but you look around the NFL Running backs all over are struggling to get deals. They're signing franchise tags. Austin Eckler was going to hold out, then decided not to. Got a couple incentives added. As we speak, Dalvin Cook is either being traded or released from the Minnesota Vikings. My question for you is, can all of these great players reverse a trend like that, where it's kind of quarterbacks are going up, defensive tackles are going up, offensive tackles and yet the running back market is suppressed due to the current nature of the game. Is there any way these players can reverse that trend? Do you envision something changing in that regard? And, and what is your view just on a, a market development like that as a whole? You're always going to have the invisible hand in a free market, and it's going to dictate those terms. If somebody is willing to play for less and they can do an equal job, then that scale is going to drop. Now, that being said, there was a quote 
circling around the NFL draft this year, which is something as a sports nerd I really haven't heard before. And, and that was talking about positional value in the draft. Get the fuck out of here with that shit. <laughs> like you made it up because it's draft day. You can't be wrong on draft day. Everyone's right on draft day. And by the way, by the time you figure out three and four years later, no one remembers. You've already done three or four drafts and made your point. There was somebody who said, I don't care if B. John Robinson goes in the Hall of Fame. You can't get out. Dude, you don't even know what you're talking about. Like, get your clicks some other way. Like, mm-hmm. you give the running back the ball 15 to 25 times, and you're going to tell me that a cornerback can make more of a, a decision on a game? Now, I didn't play football. I could be totally wrong there. But you see what Derrick Henry does. You see what Saquon Barkley does. Like, if you've got the ball in your hands and you can score touchdowns, that's the most important thing in sports score because that's who wins the game and these are scorers but at the same time if you have a glut of them then it'll come down now if all of a sudden the training ground in college is great for quarterbacks and in the first time in history there's not only eight people in the world that can play quarterback at any given time if all of a sudden there's 55 those scales are going to come way down and it's just the way it's going to be now right now you've seen a lot of those athletes move positions right because wide receiver and quarterback just gets paid more cornerback gets paid more like than running back so if you're a kid and and you're well on your way you know you might be moved in high school by either a coach a parent or yourself to say like hey i don't want to play running back and play wide receiver they make twice as much so that mm-hmm. can come down what does that do now all of a sudden there's less running backs now all of a sudden it's harder to find and now all of a sudden the price goes back up so it'll take care of itself but yeah the the positional value i mean that's why people love football it is the ultimate team sport the left guard slips the whole play is ruined you know everybody's got to do their thing and so that's that's really what I think you'll see is it'll fluctuate until it finds its spot always. Now you make a great point, which is context matters and positional value often becomes a conversation where the context of the pick or the player or whatever is ignored. Great example is like the Patriots drafted Sony Michelle in the first round. And as a rookie, he's their lead running back on a Super Bowl team. Saquon gets drafted in the first round. His team's not very good for several years. Why? Well, the team they joined was better. Right. So their draft selection, obviously Saquon was drafted higher, but it's more about the total package, the total picture. What are you looking at? And not just the individual. I think you made a great point there. Uh, Expanding it back out to the NFL and then the leagues as a whole, as a huge sports fan across the board. And as we've talked about this evolution of the sports and sports media and business landscape, I am just fascinated by the differences and how these different leagues are received and how they sell themselves, and how they market themselves, and how people uh, in, you know, kind of take in that content and respond to it. And so as somebody who is a leader in this business and someone who understands and sees the full picture, I'm curious, which league, which professional league do you think sells and markets itself best? The NFL is the top 10 marketers of themselves, and baseball should just follow it. And baseball is the, the absolute end of the other side. I mean, you go anywhere in the country and baseball players can walk down the street and completely unknown. Uh, They do nothing with their name. We as a company love baseball. It's got passionate fans. I'm Dodgers diehard. I was there the other night against the Yankees. It's the best. What are you doing? You (laughs) got to figure it out there. But the NFL, it's just, it's so exciting. You know, it's so fast. It's fun to go outside and throw a football back and forth. You know, the players, whether or not you know them or not, it's like 
wow, you played in the NFL. The head coaches are like leaders of men. You know, it's arguably the best job in the United States from a cool perspective. It's like, dang, head yeah, football curated. coach. That yep. is awesome. You know, nobody hates that. So I, I would say the NFL by far and then, you know, everything in between. I think basketball does a good job. I think the secondary market in basketball does a very good job. The companies do a very good job. You know, social media does a very good job in, in, in with NBA and basketball. And, and you see that rising. Um, you know, if I was going to buy stock in sports, you know, you hold on NFL, um, you know, you buy in basketball and you sell in the MLB just based on the marketing and the numbers. Yeah, I um I asked this question in part because it was motivated in part by I look at how the NBA every year, as much as I love watching basketball and the sport, I look at how the second the season ends, the NBA gets more interesting and starts dominating headlines. And their offseason always feels like not just as big or bigger, but it feels like they have headlines and bombshells and um they just keep your attention almost to the point where we're then training camp and the game start, you think, Oh, okay. Now we're going to actually watch the sport. But then I watch the NFL where the games kill and everybody watches and the money rolls in and the off season, it, there's still a lot to it, but you can see the NFL trying to push more content out in the May and June timeframe where, you know, the NBA is killing and the NFL is trying to enter that space and so I'm fascinated by kind of how differently received and how differently those things develop. And then I'm also just curious from a revenue standpoint, like is the, if the, is the NBA killing revenue wise because it has bombshell offseason stories or is the NFL still going to dominate because it's actual product in season is just that good? Yeah, that's that's really a good question. And you're looking at it from, you know, several angles as you have to from a business plan. Like with baseball, uh, you know, something that really holds them back is the structure of the salaries of rookies. So it is more beneficial for the baseball teams to sit on their rookies. Like how stupid is that? Like, let's put this in play in the NFL. You, you roll out Kyle Pitts and you're like, hey, we're not going to start you till game six because it puts another year on your salary. Like people would lose their mind. And that's what baseball does every year. And depending on the team, like A's are bringing up anybody like you don't necessarily want to play for the A's. But you want to be drafted by them because that's your <laughs> fastest route up. You know, you get drafted by the Dodgers. You're batting 330 at 26 and triple A just like, hey. Hey, and, and all of their big talent. Now, they've done a little bit better job in the last year or two. If you play one game, it should be a clock. It's easiest way to take it out. One game the whole year, that counts as a season. That way, everybody brings it up. You sell tickets against that rookie. Like That's something that can make a real difference there when it comes to the marketing of the league. Now, you look at some of the other spots, and it's like, okay, basketball thrives on social media. I mean, it, it, it's number one there. Mm -hmm. um, you know, every crossover is exciting. Dunks are exciting. The players are involved. They answer. They talk. You know, I think you've seen a little bit of that spill into football. Baseball has like a taboo against that. You know, it's like unheard of. You can't celebrate. You know, if you start getting really active on there, you're a cancer. People want to know like why you're doing that. Can you have a podcast? Also, the baseball players are busy. People don't realize like they're at the stadium from 12 to 12. It doesn't matter if you live in Detroit or Los Angeles. You live at the stadium. So yep. they don't have a lot of time to do a lot of the other extracurricular activities that you could do in the NBA and the NFL. The NFL lends itself great. You know, you got a week, you can sit down and do something. I mean, Draymond Green himself is really, you know, coming around to this, that like your words are very valuable. Like 
depending on who you are, are you playing? What city are you playing in? You know, did you used to play? Are you playing currently? Look at the the secondary market for media and sports. I mean, it's made, you know, dozens and dozens of billion dollar industries. And Draymond is basically saying, I'm tired of giving away all this money out of my mouth. I'm mm-hmm. going to say my stuff and get paid for it the way I want to get paid for it. And he's brilliant for it. And people are mocking it. Yeah, it's there in 10 years. You know, it's going to be sitting in a hologram in your living room and Draymond's going to be talking to you, you know, and answering questions. And, and he's really a groundbreaker there. And, and I think it's, just, you know, as hilarious as it is, like JJ Reddick really broke the ground on this. Like he had the number one sports podcast by himself because he was talking about things that people weren't like, oh man, when you came off that screen and you didn't shoot it, like that was so disappointing. Like that's the way, like you're at the park and that's the way he talked about it on his podcast. And he was phenomenal for that. So you're only going to see more media and more hype coming from the players themselves, especially as technology grows and just makes it easy and easier for them to do that. You actually led me right into my next question, which was which pro athletes do you think are doing the best job of, of harnessing a new sports brand, their own sports business and what is it that makes them the best? And it sounds like you obviously have a lot of respect for Draymond and JJ Redick. And I, I couldn't agree with you more, especially on Draymond from the sense of how candid he is when he speaks. It's not just that he's speaking. It's that he is not holding anything back. But, what, you know, I was curious who else you think has done a, a great, great job there. Sure. Draymond, love him or hate him. You're listening, right? That's the Howard Stern model. You know, if you're not saying something, you're saying nothing, essentially. And the interesting part about it is, like, these are pro athletes. They are wildly competitive. And it doesn't take the best athlete. Like, look at Pat McAfee. People don't even know that he was a punter. Like, did he even play? Survey people, they might not even know he played. So, <laughs> right. You have to grind. No one is just getting on a microphone and winning, right? You have to take it seriously. And some people understand that and some don't because it is, again, you go back to the economic curve and the invisible hand, somebody else is grinding if you're not. And that was like the Kobe mentality. It's like, you know, love the work because if you're not putting it in, somebody else is. And it's the same thing in the media space. If you're not putting in the work, if you're not doing it two or three times, if you're not backing it up on your socials, if you don't have a team around you, somebody else is and the eyeballs are going to go there. So there's people that have done it really well, um, but you've really got to want it. You know, it's not going to find you. You have to find your audience. Um, I think Damian Lillard, when he gets on, says things, you know, he's very contrite and honest. And I think people really enjoy that. Um, and, and there's other players that we've got, you know, like I said, 175. And some of the things that that they're talking about are, are just so refreshing and unique because they're doing it on their own terms and their own safe space. If you say something you don't like right here, we can go back and edit it, you know. And, and if you're live, you know, you can have some fun with it. But you're never getting like blindsided on your own show. So why would you sit in front of the media and let them, you know, razz you when you can just take it home yourself. So it's only going to see more and more. But yeah, Draymond and JJ, for me, really those groundbreakers. And Shaq, too, you know, he's kind of the OG, always has his fingers and everything. But you, know, <laughs> you really have to earn your audience here the same way you earn your spot on a team. And I believe specifically, you know, obviously a huge part of your initial idea and the, and the company as a whole now is, as you said, getting these pro athletes to tell their story on their own terms. And I was just wondering, you know, just as examples, like what do in the NFL space where I am working daily, what do guys like, you know, Ike Taylor, Jason Campbell, Carl Banks, Cordell Stewart, Lorenzo Neal, what do you see when you see the feedback and the reaction to the stories they're telling and what they're bringing on the microphone? 
how different is the response and how much more valuable is their insight than just the, you know, the standard podcaster? Sure. It's a great question. Look, the, the athlete's going to see the game in a way that we never will. They, they breathe it. They've seen every detail. They know the players. Athletes bring insight and access that only an athlete can. Now, you can understand the game just as well. You'll just never see it the way that they do because they're actually running around out there. And, you know, that's kind of a, a funny part about this when we started is like, you know, being a professional surfer, like my friends text me about a surfboard and try to tell me it's good. And I'm like, shut up. It's not good. Like, I will tell you <laughs> if it's good or not. Like, I'm the pro. And then I text my friends in the middle of like a USC game that played there. And I'm like, what is that play call? And they're like, shut up. It was a good play call. Like, I'm the pro. Listen to me. So like you can get an expert level, but you'll never see it the way that they do. And again, their words have value. Like your words have value, your thoughts. People want to come and say like, hey, I'm watching the game and I'm wondering if you have the same opinion. Am I right? Am I wrong? Sports is such a passionate fan base. We are bred as group animals. Like this is what our do. This is our tribe. These are our colors. Like this is in your DNA and people love it. And they want to hear that insight from people that were there. And it's just, it's a perfect match. Absolutely. So a game changer, another game changer in the sports space, obviously it's already here is the legalized gambling element. Of course, you know, we're sponsored here, bet online, proud to be, and you can already see changes that are happening as far as, you know, it's being marketed every time you're watching a game. Now, all the leagues are pushing it. Um, official sponsors, it's no running or hiding anymore. You can basically bet on everything and anything my question for you is where does it go from here though? Because obviously gambling now has become a part of professional sports out in the open like never before. But what impact do you think that has, if any, or change it creates in the future being now such a public part of uh, professional sports? Yeah, it's going to be a big part of it. And it's only going to grow because you're following the money. Again, it's there's so much money there. And this was one of the biggest lies that everybody would tell themselves everybody's already gambling like if you're in a fantasy league giving your buddy a hundred bucks you're you're gambling if you're in an office pool collecting twenty dollars for the ncaa tournament you're gambling so like everybody's already gambling even if you don't like to gamble you're gambling it's fun it's fun and it makes money on the backside because let me tell you this you are terrible at gambling and you are a sucker for those lines and they love it and they want more of it. So you're only going to see state to state go because it's just you're seeing the numbers. It's like marijuana. It's like everybody's already smoking, like tax it, make money on it, make it safe. Like Colorado, and they're like, they made a what? Yes. Bring that to my state, too. So it'll it'll always go. Now, could it get to the point where it's the technology is so good that you're like ball strike, ball strike? You know, could it could it get to the point where? Uh, you know, your fumble, you know, at 20% odds, uh, you know, on this next play, you know, it'll be very hard if it ever gets there to tell if anyone's cheating, because very easy to throw one ball, you know, yeah. and count that out. So, you know, I right. think that there'll be always some parameters in play. You know, I heard a great stat, there's 1.5 million shots on the PGA Tour, and you could potentially bet on all of them. You know, baseball and golf have so many stats that you could just run through the computer and say, you know, 7% chance he hits it in the bunker. You know, what do you want to bet on that? It's, you know, 17 to 1, and you know, I think he's going to hit it in the bunker. Hit it in the bunker, you know? Yeah. And so that, that's something I think that it can get to, but you'll always have that, like, fair play angle, you know, and 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 that's something that we still haven't quite figured out, you know, is where does it stop internally in the game? And I think that's where it will. 
but as far as mm. coming state to state and the next thing is really to make it easy on your phone and then additionally besides just like betting on the line like it's hard to bet there's a lot of things that people really don't understand i think you're going to get a lot easier i think you're going to get a lot more like tinder of betting you know you're going to swipe right on this one swipe left on this one you know over under real easy click 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 because it just makes it easier to spend your money and they want your money right no doubt we started this interview talking about your founding of Believe It, also where it's growing today, the Fubo deal recently coming together. And you know, from the inside of this business, I wanted to know where you think the sports content and streaming is going next. You know, what is the what is the next big thing? We've seen, of course, all of these major networks start to try and harness and protect their investments and get it mobile, get it to people's phones, get it to people's iPads, wherever. Uh, we see the the AI, this new Apple technology, basically, where you have this enormous mask on your phone, on your face, Who knows and you're watching that, television right? and you can see the rest of the room. But I just wanted to know wh- where's it going next? Like what, what in 10 years, what am I going to be sitting here talking to you about saying, I can't believe I didn't see it, but you know, you told me that back in 2023. Well, it certainly doesn't seem like it's going into the metaverse. So we can wait we can wait on having a digital avatar of ourselves and just enjoy the games for a couple more years. <laughs> it's always going to be technology driven. I mean, those glasses are, you know, 3000 plus if they're $80 and they can do that same thing. I've always thought augmented reality was the future um, because people want to be here, right? It's not real. If you're in that sector, it it's you, but it's not real. You're always going to be real. And if you can take what Pokemon did and put it on your face and not have it look ridiculous, I mean, that was the thing with like the snap glasses or some of the other stuff. Like even when you see people playing virtual reality now, like the market is dictated. They don't like it. If they did, we would everybody would do it. They don't. You know, no one wants to wear those headphones and spin around in circles in the living room. So it's like, what's next? Okay, let's do augmented. How good is that? If I could sit in my room without the goggles on and have six TVs running all virtually and have a player stand up and have the in those different angles. I mean, that's, that's coming, that's coming. And that's where it'll go. As far as like the media side, I think you're going to get more creators, more individual, but what happens when you're seeing in the streaming is you have to make money. That's the thing about all of this stuff, right? You can't have businesses that just build up huge amount of numbers and then get invested and then sell. Eventually it'll pop. And you've seen that the last couple of years, you know, these things are popping. So it have to make money. So everything will go to individual and then it'll come right back together because there's always good economies of scale in the back end. And you're seeing that with the streaming apps now, you know, it was a huge race to get everybody's up there. And then you look at their books and they're losing a billion dollars a quarter. And you're like, that's not sustainable. You know, you can do that for, you know, eight, 10, 12 quarters. You can't do that forever. And eventually it'll pop. So, you know, people like yourself, can have wildly successful own streams and be in the market. But eventually you'll need to be back in a spot that makes money and makes it worth your time. You know, the supply and demand will win. So the technology is really going to drive it and the ability to have businesses that actually make money. And, and you'll see the two of those collide to whatever it is. But look, in this industry, it's something new every day. Like the original business plan I wrote, there was no such thing as a fast channel. So how could I even put it in there that we were going to be on fast channels? Like, you know, we never thought there'd be something like StreamYard. When you did this, it was on Skype and you had, you know, the Amazon cords plugged into your phone so you could have somebody call in. Like it's, <laughs> you never know what's going to come tomorrow. I mean, those goggles came out of nowhere. So it's all really exciting, but the two principles will always be that it's got to make money and it's got to work. Well said. Fascinating perspective. Credit to you for building such a fascinating and uh, 
you know, a network at Believe that continues to grow and inform fan bases around the nation here in the U.S., covering every team, all these pro athletes with their perspectives that you can't get anywhere else. I know Saquon Barkley, Bron, is going to appreciate your perspective on running backs and positional value. Good. And we really just can't thank you enough. We know you're very busy for stopping by here at Talking Ball and spending the time. So thank you so much. Sure, Pat. It's a pleasure to be on. And I love Talking Ball. Let's do it again soon. Sounds good. That was a great conversation with Bron. Like I said, please rate, review, and subscribe on YouTube, on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. These subscriptions, these likes, these comments, all the engagement and all the support helps us continue to grow a podcast that we have big plans for in year two. Can't believe we're there already in the 2023 NFL season. Before we get out of here, I want to tell you about another one of our sponsors, Estate 98. Hola, amigos. This is Pat Leonard from the New York Daily News. And if you're a coffee lover like me, you're going to love Estate 98, this ultra-concentrated coffee from El Salvador, which dates back to 1798, is the most convenient premium cafe I've ever had. It takes me three seconds to make a nice coffee, which is perfect for my busy podcasting schedule with Talking Ball. I can take it with me on the go and make it anywhere. And with its rich smell and notes of milk chocolate and tangerine, this Essencia Day Cafe has replaced my old coffee runs. Go to Estate 98 Coffee on Instagram, order and enjoy. Salud. Thanks for joining us this week on Talking Ball. We will see you next time. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.